listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers. It's the Cats Roundtable. Comes true on Sunday in New York. Good morning, New York. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katzmatidis here. Sunday morning. The balloon is down. Now, the question is going to be, why did they not shoot it down among the Pacific Ocean before it went over the U.S. bases and maybe got information that we didn't want them to have? And they waited till after the Atlantic Ocean. Stay tuned. You'll get the truth. Let's start with Michael Stoller's report on real estate. Good morning. This is Michael Stoller, host of the Stoller Real Estate Report on the Cats Roundtable. Today, I'm very lucky to have my friend David Sheckman, who is the Senior Executive Managing Director, big title over here, at Meridian Investment Sales. And I've known David for many years. He's been a leader. And I'm not sure David is optimistic or pessimistic. So we're going to get his views on the state of the investment sales market, the state of the financing market, and what's really happening. Michael, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to be with you and to be on uh, Cat's Roundtable. It's not a question of being optimistic or pessimistic these days. I think it's a question of being pragmatic. Um, certainly, we're in a cycle of disruption across asset classes in the tri-state and nationally. Uh, but any time there is volatility or disruption, opportunity uh, lies therein. So I think as a general thesis with rising interest rates and fundamentals for some sectors with uh, vacancy and, and you know leasing rates going down, there's going to be some trouble, uh, but one man's trouble, uh, or one person's trouble, better said, is somebody else's opportunity. But when you and I were talking the other day, we focused on the fact that banks aren't giving out money. Banks are not really lending money because the numbers don't make sense. Well, I think that's right. I, I think that's right in the sense that banks aren't the, you know, the spigot is not as wide open as it once was. We're coming off nearly a decade of record low interest rates in the commercial real estate world. I think that most lenders today still have sufficient cash, cash reserves to put money out. But what you're going to see is, is something that I candidly haven't seen in, in the 23 years uh, that I've been in the business. You've got declining fundamentals and declining sentiment. Uh, crashing right into changes in technology, how we shop, how we live, how we office, and that's going to be coupled with astronomic rises in interest rates. If you think about it, there are multifamily apartment houses all over the country and certainly all over New York where those five, seven, and 10-year loans are coming due today, and the buildings may be moving along swimmingly well, but the Prevailing interest rates were in the 3 to 3.5% range over the past five years. Upon maturity, those same borrowers who've done everything right and may have a, a perfectly competent building are going to go be seeking that same replacement debt, and those rates could be 6, 6.5, 7 plus percent. So if you think about the amount of cash flow that comes from a building just to service debt, in most instances, you're going to need 70 to 100% more cash flow just to maintain your mortgage. So where do, we, where do we get this additional cash flow? Do we get it out of the sky? I mean, how do you get the cash flow? Well, New York's an interesting place. And that's uh, the market I really want to focus on right now. So focusing on, on, on that and, and, you know, 
clearly we're, we're going to want to talk about the moniker of distress, which everybody is looking for in down markets, bankruptcy, note sales, foreclosures, dissolutions. They're here. Uh, we've been saying since 2019 in the residential sector that the changes to law uh, would spur defaults. Then with the pandemic, we were certain defaults would come. And now with the rising interest rates, they finally arrived. So there are some folks who, for instance, will have a $100 million office building with $65 million worth of debt, and they may have lost 20, 30 percent of their tenants. If they've got to come up with $65 million, and that $65 million is going to cost them millions more every year, if they don't have the money to reach into their own pockets and pay just to keep their own buildings, you may see those buildings change hands. And by change hands, you may see rescue capital in the form of uh, new partnerships, or you may see dissolutions, bankruptcies, and foreclosures. And um, you know, certainly as, as a real estate uh, broker uh, at a firm that, that does tens of billions of dollars every year, I certainly don't want to see anybody who's doing everything right lose their buildings. But as somebody who uh, holds themselves out as a, a bankruptcy expert, I've been waiting for this. What goes up must come down, and it's certainly going to come down and come down hard. Now, we were talking the other day with regard to uh, note sales. Let's talk about that and with how banks are reacting. Well, you know, when you talk about note sales to the neophyte, uh, you think that's just as simple as uh, a borrower has a problem. Uh, there may be a default. I'm going to go and buy the mortgage from the bank, and I'm going to take over the building. That couldn't be more wrong. What you're doing when you're buying a note is you're essentially stepping into the shoes of the bank. And the problem with note sales this cycle is a lot of these banks um, have not begun foreclosure proceedings. So in a jurisdiction like New York, let's say you're buying a $100 million mortgage from a bank and they may have just, um, that mortgage is in default because the borrower can't pay anymore. We call that a monetary or non-payment uh, issue. If you're going to step in the shoes of the bank, in order for you to get the keys, it may take you a year or two, perhaps three in foreclosure, maybe with a detour through bankruptcy, and you're going to be buying yourself a litigation. And a lot of people believe that they want to invest in those markets, but you better have a heck of a lot of capital, a heck of a lot of lawyers, and a heck of a lot of know-how. It really is a niche field. But when you're talking about product, the product is here. And what, what about the product of new of people buying existing multifamily? Well, look, you know, multifamily is each asset class has its nuances. But multifamily, you have to remember, people need to live somewhere. We used to say people need a place to go to work. But we know that the evolution of technology and the pandemic really you know, shine the light on how we office. So I don't know that that's as bulletproof as it once was. When it comes to apartments, sure, not everybody needs a five, ten, or fifteen thousand dollar a month penthouse. But certainly uh, in New York City, for two, three, four, five thousand a month, when you which you consider entry level apartments, they're going to continue to flourish. I do think, however, the financials need to be. Jiggered. They need to be adjusted. What about the market rate, the stabilization, and rent con rent control? 
Well, rent control was well-intentioned when it was uh, employed in the early 1970s, if memory serves. It was there to protect folks who had spent years in neighborhoods, and, and it was to avoid uh, market rate and increasing yuppifying neighborhoods. It's a necessary uh, mechanism, but it's been abused over the years. And now, candidly, it's a castigatory system, which is hurting the very landlords who are doing right by their tenants. I think rent control was perceived in the early 2000s up until probably 2017 or 2018 as an opportunity for people to go in, whether it's an institution or a private owner, buy a, an apartment house, work with the tenants to perhaps buy them out or relocate them as the neighborhoods, um, I, I'm trying to avoid, say, the word gentrify, but as they started to attract different tenants. And that rent stabilization was nothing but upside. These days, with the 2019 laws that were implemented, um, I think that rent stabilization is um, kind of verboten. It's something that people want to stay away from. What about hospitality assets? Hospitality, at this point, has no place to go but up. If you look at it, and we're involved in several hotel sales and valuations, it, uh, it, hospitality comes down to occupancy and average daily rate. And occupancy saw a, a 50-year low in 2020 and 21 for, for uh, various reasons. Those who are able to hold on to their hotels and other forms of lodging, I think that they have smoother waters in front of us, uh, provided we can take care of crime in this city. Yeah, the, the, last week I had Joe Farkas and we were talking about industrial. What's your thoughts about industrial? Well, Joe Farkas would certainly know about it. He's been a pioneer in the industry. Um, I think Joe commented last week that ultimately the world's not getting slower. It's getting faster. And what was once warehouses on I-95 to distribute all over to points north and east and south has now become warehouses just a couple thousand feet from your homes. I think ultimately industrial is is going to be a major force going forward and a major profit source. But I think some of the poorly conceived projects, perhaps multi-level warehousing or uh, warehouses that aren't as well accessed, I think market fundamentals will, will separate the wheat from the chaff. Final question. 2023, a good year or a bad year? I don't have my crystal apple in front of me. Well, Michael, I think 2023 is going to be a year of uh, dislocation. I think at the end of this year, you're going to see a huge column of winners. And I think it's probably going to be an equally sized column of unfortunate losers. David, thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Uh, this is the Cats Roundtable. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. I am the eye in the sky. With us today is Steve Cates, otherwise known as Dr. Sky, and a real genius when we look at telling us what's going up on, on the skies, what's going on uh, on our planets. Uh, Steve, what's the big news this week? John, good morning to you and the listeners. Big news story about, well, needs to be clarified, is about Earth's inner core may have stopped and is in reverse. Well, let's find out if this is true. It's a big mystery. But, John, earlier this Sunday morning, let's talk a little bit about the, about the Earth and its you know, geology. We find out that the Earth is made up of three or four distinct layers. One is the crust. We call it the lithosphere. 
that's also part of something called the oceanic crust and a continental crust, you know, the oceans and our landmass. But you go down deeper into the earth, it's called the mantle. And that's an area that's kind of strange because the deepest borehole that we ever drilled into the earth was something called the Kola Superdeep Borehole. They drilled down 41,000 feet into the earth and found out that the drill bit started to heat up, and that's where temperatures start to increase. But it gets better, John. We find out there's an Earth's outer core, and this inner core, which is about 3,200 miles below the crust, well, now we're saying, or hearing, that is, from various scientists around the world, that this inner core, which is around 4,400 miles in diameter, about the size of the planet Mars, made of nickel iron, and a fluid type of nickel iron, may have slowed down or may have stopped or reversed, but we don't really know for sure. So isn't that amazing? I mean, this is so bizarre, but we want to tell people not to worry because stuff like this may have happened before, John. But now, don't don't the... forget what we talked about, me and you talked about a few weeks ago, yes. about, uh, about uh, uh, the, the tilt of the, what, what, what was it, the tilt of the earth or, or true north? We're talking about the change in the geomagnetic pole, right, as opposed to the regular pole. And all this stuff, John, is tied in together because, remember this, magnetic reversals, they may have caused mass extinctions on, the, on, you know, on this Earth in the past. Look at Venus and Mars. Venus doesn't have much of a magnetic field. Mars lost its magnetic field. And this happens over time. So this is something very interesting here. So bottom line on this, the core stopping totally may not be correct. As I said before, it may have caught up with the Earth's rotation. But we have to also think about something, and not to alarm our listeners at all here, we just go with the facts. The last magnetic reversal on the Earth, where the polarity shifted, that happened, John, 700, you know, 774,000 years ago, and it took about 1,000 years to, hold, you know, to, to go through its cycle. But the problem when we get magnetic reversals is that we get a lot of cosmic rays coming into the Earth's atmosphere, which is not a good thing, and it also may have caused some extinctions. But how about this? The magnetic field, as we name, you know, say and put this into perspective, the Earth may have lost over 30% of its magnetic field over the last 3,000 years. So the jury's still out, John, as to whether that core has really stopped, whether it's really reversed, and it's so almost impossible to figure out how do they do this. They actually look at seismic waves that are coming through the Earth, and remember, these different waves propagate faster in cooler than hotter rocks. So we have a lot more to learn about the Earth. Isn't that amazing? We know so much about all the other planets, but right below our feet, it's one of the biggest mysteries of all. But closer to home, John, we find out that Punxsutawney Phil actually saw his shadow on Thursday. So some say between six and eight more weeks of winter, if we follow the logic behind that. But other great things in our February skies, John. This is amazing. The month of love, February. Look into the southwest after, you know, sunset. You'll see Jupiter and Venus. Venus is the brighter planet toward the horizon. It's going to be moving closer to Jupiter, and they'll be so close together at the end of the month of February, as we call it, the beautiful romance between the goddess of love and beauty and the mighty god Jupiter himself. So by the end of the month, you'll see these two planets very bright with the naked eye about the diameter of a moon. And on Sunday night tonight, we get, John, the beautiful snow moon, the full snow moon, a magnificent sight as you look into the northeast sky just after sunset. What a beautiful way to start February, don't you think? Well, it sounds, it sounds awfully beautiful. Uh, We've got another minute left. Anything else? Sure. 
Well, I just want to remind everybody, John, so proud to be here on WABC 77, WABC. And they suggest that they go to the Dr. Sky Experience. Where can they find this, both the blog and our podcast? Simply WABCradio.com. Jam-packed with information, not only about astronomy, space, aviation, and weather, but many of my interviews, John, like you say, on your regular shows and all around WABC and all about the run around the station, Truth, Justice, and the American Way. We talk all about American exceptionalism and the great subjects and mysteries that we talk about here on your radio show, which I'm grateful to be part of. Thank you so much. Well, Steve Cates, have a great weekend, and keep looking at those skies. Keep doing research because uh, you have all our listeners listening, and they want to know, they want to know, what, you know, are we going to live another 775,000 years? <laughs> well, John, I'll be there, and I'll be guarantee you next week we'll have more jam-packed information on these subjects. And once again, clear skies, health, and happiness, and thank you for having me. God bless. Happy trails to you. Thank you, sir. With us today is Kathy Wild. She is the president and CEO of the New York City Partnership, one of the, the organizations in New York City where the top 200 or 300 businesses belong to. And Kathy Wild, she knows what's going on in our city, and she wants to update all our listeners. Good morning, Kathy. Uh, give us an update. Where, where is New York City? Thank you, John. Well, New York City is doing well, and specifically, we just released a survey of our major companies that are employers, office employers in Manhattan, and they're telling us that on the average weekday, more than half the office workers are back in the office, 52%, and this is the highest we've been since March of 2020, when the pandemic began, so we're glad to see people coming back to the office, patronizing the restaurants, shopping, and uh, taking the subway. Well, yes, and, and Bruce Mosler, when I talked to him, uh, he, uh, uh, he indicated to me, well, you know, like you're using the number, uh, what did you, 70% you just said, is that correct? 52, 52%. 52%. He says to me, On the average never- weekday. Now, he said to me it was never higher uh, before COVID, higher than, what, 80 or something? Because yes, people are yes. always traveling. That's correct. Uh, business travel and people um, working from various places around the world. So before the COVID, so it's not, we're not going from 100% in the office to only 52%. It's really more like 80% to 52%. And that number has been increasing since we started surveying in back in June of 2020. So it, we started very low, but today actually the, only 10% of the Manhattan office workers are fully remote. So everybody is in, on average, three days a week. Well, I, I hate to, to, to be a, a contrarian on something. Our company has never been less than 95% for the last three years. I'm with you, John. Some of us and, were uh, able to pull that off. Yes, and uh, I depend on CEOs in our city and our country that to, have, to put their foot down and say, come on, guys, it's over. Let's, it's time to go back to work. And, and that's just uh, no, nobody specific. Just in general, that's my, my ad- advice. Because you know, I love most New York. employers are trying to do that. Yeah, I love New York. You love New York. We want New York to make a, a big comeback because I'm looking at some additional big investments 
And my other problem is, and maybe you could address that, is, uh, and I know I'm pro Eric Adams, and he's trying to do something about it, the crime situation in our city, uh, and I know the governor wants to do about it, but we're trying to decide who's really governor, the state senate or the governor. What say you? Well, there is real tension there, and that's, that is a concern. But we are very glad that the governor and the mayor, for the most part, are getting along and working together in lockstep, and that's very important for the city. So hopefully the legislature will get the spirit of collegiality and join them as they negotiate the governor's budget, which came out this week, and, um, and we can all get on with the business of making our city as great as it can possibly be. I, I agree with you 100% because we want our city to make it. Uh, what else would you like to tell uh, the, the businesses in, in the whole region, because a lot of them uh, belong to your organization, uh, and uh, uh, what else? It's, 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 your, it's your call. Tell us. Well, the other good news that we got out of this survey of the major office employers in Manhattan was that 80% plus of the companies say that they plan to expand or maintain their New York City footprint, both in terms of jobs and in terms of their real estate presence. So the, the fear that we're going to be abandoned by big employers and companies is um, misplaced fear unless, and this is a big unless, unless we see that we can't resolve our budget issues and the legislature pushes for higher taxes and makes it impossible for companies to stay here because their people can't afford to live here on their after-tax income. New York State, New York City, New York State, lost 484000 taxpayers in the last 24 months. Uh, do you feel that that's slowing down? No, I think it's, um, unfortunately, I don't think there's any evidence it's slowing down. I think that people are still leaving, uh, partly because they can't find affordable housing, uh, partly because they, uh, they're uh, worried about the education system. They can't afford private schools, and, and they're worried about the quality of education. And um, a lot of the higher earners are leaving because of the taxes, which are now over 55% of your earned income. State Senate and State Assembly are pushing for more. Well, some members. Let's, let's hope that the leadership and the majority of members in both houses agree with the governor that we cannot afford to raise personal income taxes any higher or we will force people out of this city. Well, Ka We're Kathy the highest Wilde, tax uh, city in the country. So. Yes, and, and, uh, and people are leaving. They're going to uh, Florida, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, well, you know, the other number I saw on the Economist Index, we are tied with Singapore for being the most expensive city in the world. That's a scary thing. Yes, it is. Kathy Wilde, thank you for filling in all our uh, listeners, and we welcome you back anytime to give us updates. And I hope the budget process goes well uh, in Albany uh, for our city and our state to survive. 
We all do. And, and the governor has made a good start with her budget proposal, which is overall quite good for the city. We've got to make sure she can drive that home. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, and we'll catch up soon. Thanks. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. John. Gotham City had Batman. New York City has the Catman. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable. Only in America can a guy from anywhere go to sleep a pauper and wake up a millionaire. With us this morning on a Sunday morning is Ernie Anastas and Patricia Stark. And Big names in New York City. Uh, Ernie, you can stop 100 people in the street. 99 oh, will know his no. name. <laughs> Patricia Stark was, was with Fox 5 for a long time. Uh, Ernie, tell yes, us John. all the new things you're going to be doing with WABC. Well, John, first of all, I, I think people who are listening know one thing, that you are our leader, and that makes a huge difference. John has a positive spirit, great attitude, and encourages everybody to just do new things. There's a great quote, John. Don't go where the path may lead. Go where there's no path and leave a trail. And that's what we're doing. So we're on WABC. Patricia Stark and I have worked together. Patricia was an anchor at Fox News in New York. Patricia, how are you? I'm doing great, John and Ernie. It's so wonderful to be here with you. And Ernie and I go way back and have had a lot of fun together and are looking so forward to bringing so many positive things to WABC. Absolutely, Patricia. And what we're doing, John, and you know this because we've talked about it, uh, we'll be taking perhaps a problem, an issue, and discussing it, but looking for ways to make things better. How do you improve things? Uh, we, we have the same philosophy. Many years I've been on the air saying good evening and then telling people why it's not. So now we're going to say, okay, good evening. Here's what's happening. Here's what's going on, the reality, but how we can make things better, John, how we can improve things. Right, Patricia? Yeah, we've always talked about wouldn't it be wonderful to do a good news show mm -hmm. something positive something encouraging we need some good news we do we do everybody does and so many people these days are feeling overwhelmed and sometimes discouraged and you just need to be able to refill your cup sometime Absolutely. and look at things in a solution oriented positive empowering way and john i know you feel the same way we're talking about reality uh we're not talking about censoring any stories we're talking about real facts of the hard things that people are facing so if we look at it and we deal with it, how can we make it better? How can we improve integrity? How can we improve our leaders? And that's the answer, because I think people are looking for that. People are interested in how we can make life better for ourselves and for the world. And I think in a worldly way, we need to do that. Yes, anybody can tell you what's wrong, but very rarely will they offer you a solution or a way to deal with something or cope with something, or more importantly, in a way to make things better. Yeah, and John, you, you are providing the platform, uh, not only for Patricia and I to do these things, but you're providing the platform for a lot of individuals who are on the air expressing views and I know you because we've talked a lot you like to see everything you want to see this side that side and in the middle 
And I think that that's very important, John. That's why the station is doing exceptionally well. Well, I, I'll tell you, Ernie, uh, you were at, uh, at uh, ABC for yes. a, a lot of years. Well, years. Uh, so now it's WABC. Yeah, exactly. So what's the difference? And, <laughs> I love the call letters. And uh, what our, my 5 o'clock show, uh, we end every day with the Superman theme, a little bit uh, uh, truth, justice, and the American way. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's the, that's the theme that we want to live by because there's so much turmoil in the world that we really, really want something that makes sense. Yeah, but I think what you're doing and what this radio station is doing is looking for whatever it happens to be that people are doing and are interested in and saying, you have a forum here. If you have a story, share it with us. We can put people on the air and talk about, because you want to make, we all want to make New York City a better city. And you're also going to have a, a weekend show yep. to recap everything, besides the mo- Monday through Friday. Yep. Uh, Absolutely. You'll be we're doing some tidbits yeah, we're gonna and be coming on, on some, uh, with some of our other hosts, maybe, and et cetera. Yeah, yes. we're going to have uh, guests on the air. We're going to be talking about different issues and a lot of things that people will uh, have fun participating in. Yes, and, and really with a positive, empowering, fun slant yeah. in, in a lot of ways of, of how we're going to you know, give out the information, talk about uh, current events, but always in, I think, the most positive solution-oriented and, again, fun way. Ernie and I have been having fun together for a very <laughs> very long time so we're right. so excited and appreciate this opportunity to be here with you john so much well you, john. we look forward to it and uh and uh and to many many more announcements to come thank you thank you so much thank you john Cassidy. thank you ernie yep. thank you patricia and uh we'll talk to you again real soon with us today is uh congressman peter king and uh he is uh the most knowledgeable guy i know about long island new york state and Homeland Security in Washington. Uh, good morning, Congressman King. How are you today? Hey, John. I'm, I'm doing great. It's been a great weekend. I'm, uh, again, always uh, look forward to talking to you and all your listeners. I heard uh, the, a day or so ago that you were mad as hell at something and, and, and about the, the migrants. Tell, us, tell our audience uh, what, what you're upset about. Yeah, John, as you know, you and I have often discussed immigrants are important to this country. Uh, you and I are descended from immigrants. You actually are an immigrant yourself coming over here as a young boy. And the fact is, it's immigrants that make our country great. Having said that, it has to be done legally. That's number one. But number two, we have these immigrants who have come into the country illegally, who are now in New York, and they are living in hotels. The city is paying the expenses, putting up in good hotels, three meals a day, cell phones, showers, everything. And now they're complaining that, that the conditions aren't good enough because they're being transferred over to Brooklyn. And they're not being transferred out to, to let you know, uh, rich people come into the hotel. They're being transferred out so other immigrants can come in. But what they're getting in Brooklyn is also better than they w- would have ever gotten back home. They're still going to be getting their three meals a day, still have their transits at their uh, cell phones. And to me, it's really d- disgusting that people who are coming here living off us are complaining that they're not being treated well enough when they're getting treated better than many other people living in New York who are trying to survive day to day and you know, worry about not paying their rent, worry about being evicted, worry about not being able to uh, pay for their food. And these, these migrants are getting everything and more. So to me, it's a whole attitude that's taken over in the country. Uh, now, it, you, know, you know, this involves uh, illegal immigrants, but also people who feel that they're entitled to something. 
that, you know, uh, that you're entitled to have a good living. You're entitled to uh, do well. Rather than, as to me, the immigrant mentality always was that you're entitled to have the opportunity to work hard. That's what you should be entitled to in this country, the opportunity to try to succeed, uh, you know, no matter where you come from or who you are. But this whole idea that just coming here, even if it's illegally, makes you entitled, is it's, it's bad, it's dangerous. And it also is another reflection of the failed immigration policy where we find so much fentanyl coming into the country, where we find uh, uh, terrorists, you know, uh, people on the terrorist watch list coming into the country. You're finding communities overwhelmed where they can't, basically can't afford it anymore. Where is New York going to get the money? New York City is having a hard enough time paying its bills without having to put like a billion dollars or more in, into paying for these illegal immigrants who then complain that they're not being treated well enough. I uh, I agree 110 uh, percent. And the the other problem I have, uh, uh, Peter, you know, I'm an immigrant. Your family was an immigrant. Uh, we had to work for everything. And my father worked as a busboy, not even a waiter. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and wasn't the, the Cipriani's you worked on? Where, where did he work? Where, uh, he worked you ended in a up... famous restaurant in those days called Long Champs. Long Champs, that was it, right? Long Champs. Long yeah. Champs uh, for John Mitchell. They also owned Lou Chow's. And, uh, right. uh, and he worked Monday through Friday at Long Champs on 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue. And then Saturdays and Sundays, because my father spoke fluent Italian, he'd go to Astoria and work the Italian restaurant Saturday and Sunday to earn a few dollars more. Seven days a week. You know, you know my father, when I was a kid, always had two and sometimes three jobs. I mean, it was just ex- accepted. Nobody, uh, and nobody complained. That was, they were, in a way, happy that they had the opportunity to work. Obviously, it would have been great if they didn't have to work. But the fact is, they did work and they expected to work. And every family I knew, the people worked. And no, nobody expected nothing for nothing. I mean, that was basically, uh, you went out and you worked, you did the work you had to do to support your family. And for this whole idea of getting, a, again, your, your cell phone, uh, three meals a day in a hotel, you know, living in a hotel, and now going over to another facility where you're still going to get the three meals a day and still get the showers and everything else. And it's not good enough. To me, well, it's really a bad sign, a bad sign for the country. I agree, and um, for the next, we had a minute left, and for the next minute, I will say something. I will say that, that we cannot feed the entire world, uh, Congressman. We can't feed all of South America. We can't feed all of Africa. I mean, there's got to be some checks and balances uh, of who's no, coming we- in. Exactly. Uh, we have yeah. Our first obligation has to be to take care of our own people first, and then as new people well, come in, do it in a in a precise, orderly way. I agree 100%. Congressman Peter King, thank you so much for coming on this uh, this Sunday morning, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Thank you. You're listening to the show where you can hear New York's top newsmakers interviewed by New York's first citizen. It's the Cats Roundtable. With us today is former Governor David Patterson, and uh, he has a lot of things to say. Um, he is one common-sense guy. And uh, uh, Governor Patterson, what what is on your mind on this Sunday morning? Well, John, what bothered me uh, last week, you know, beginning on Monday, was when the migrants who were asked to go to the facility in Brooklyn said that they would rather stay at the one in Midtown Manhattan, and they 
tried to say the facilities weren't adequate enough. But the reason that the city was moving them there is because they had to find a place to move families in to facilities. And that hotel was perfect for families because it had more than one room in, in each unit. So when this didn't happen, they staged this protest and they stood outside. And I thought they were being egged on by the media because not two blocks away from that hotel, there are other people out on the street who are homeless at this time of year. I mean, God forbid the temperatures this weekend where the wind chill factor were down to nearly zero degrees. And they have problems, too. And they are citizens of the United States. They live here. And while if someone is seeking asylum, I'm 100 percent in favor of them if they meet the requirements of asylum, which is that they are avoiding uh, a terrorizing situation or a life-threatening situation in their own country. But I don't know that asylum isn't starting to become an industry because uh, so many people are choosing to do this, and it is really creating an encumbrance on the city's resources, and I'm glad Mayor uh, Adams has been speaking out about it. What's going on in Albany, Governor? I mean, the governor uh, has a lot of power when it comes to uh, the uh, budget. And uh, if she uses her power, then maybe we can get some common sense coming out of Albany. Yeah, the governor sets the the process. The legislature collaborates on the uh, budget with the governor, but the budget is due on April 1st. New York is the only state in the union that has an April 1st budget deadline. But the governor does have the power to offer extenders, in other words, If you're not finished and you need a few more days, you can extend the government at the same rate of spending uh, and service that you've had throughout the last fiscal year for a period of time until you have entered into agreement for the next budget. What we were able to change when I was there is that the no one realized we actually came up with this idea that when I put out the extenders, the legislature had to vote them up or down. So because the legislature was delaying the budget and would not close the budget because they didn't want to cut anymore, I decided to put my cuts in the extender. And if they didn't pass the extender, they were shutting the government down. Now, I didn't exactly get a uh, pat on the back or a handshake from many legislators when I did that, but that enabled Governor Cuomo, who succeeded me, to pass budgets in his term in office uh, a lot sooner than anyone that preceded him, because in his case, he didn't even ever do it. He just threatened to do it. And it and it really created a more timely process that had existed for years, but had gotten out of control in the late 70s. And that's when Governor Hugh Carey came up with the idea of extenders. Understood. Tell us about, uh, I understand when me and you were together the other day, you were very upset with what happened in Memphis. Tell us about it. Well, I think everybody was very upset at what happened in Memphis, but what kind of struck me was when I worked in the DA's office back in the early 80s, there were these police officers who would sit at the desk, you know, when you come in, and they would uh, sometimes drive some of the assistant district attorneys to different Uh, neighborhoods, perhaps difficult neighborhoods where they had to interview witnesses and that kind of thing. One day I asked one of the detectives there 
um, why were why were they using police officers? And they said that these officers were members of the street crimes unit, but that they had gone beyond their authority and you know uh, injured people and that kind of thing. They didn't want to kick them off the force, so they found this little place for them to hang out. And their nickname was the Rubber Gun Squad. Now, there's certainly no levity in what happened down in Memphis, but certainly departments around the country really need to take heed that these kinds of uh, units where they're often in plain clothes and they're more aggressive, they stop and they drive uh, out of their cars and that kind of thing, and as seriously as what was done in, in that case uh, in Memphis. But it's something that departments have to be very careful because once a anybody, it, it wouldn't even matter whether a police officer or in any other business, once the rules aren't strict, um, the results could be very tragic. And that's what we saw in Memphis. It was uh, very, very tragic for this young gentleman, this young uh, kid to lose his life. And he really didn't do anything wrong. And, and when I saw the video as close as I could see it, the people were walking around and he's propped up against the car. And I said to myself, did any of these people watch the George Floyd video? Do they realize that they are about to become the next George Floyd incident and stir up the whole country? It, it was shocking, but I was very happy to see that the other police departments from around the country who usually don't do this weighed in on how um, revolted they were by what happened there. And I think that really contributed to a lot of the peace that was kept uh, where in other situations, neighborhoods um, were overwhelmed to the point that they became antisocial in their activity. We, Governor, we all agree. Well, thank you this, uh, for coming on this Sunday morning and give you know, all Americans the perspective of what the heck is going on. And uh, God bless you and have a great weekend. Thank you, John. With us today is Zach Williams, and he's our, our star New York Post reporter out of Albany. And uh, he has an update. Uh, Zach, what the heck is going on in Albany? Are we, are we having any common sense yet? <laughs> well, today was a really big week because the governor finally unveiled her proposed state budget, which was just packed with all sorts of policy proposals. So let's break them down. Now, Governor Kathy Hochul, as you might recall, got a whole bunch of guff while running for a full term in office last year over the extent to which she might revisit um, controversial bail limits and other reforms passed in recent years. And this week, she really detailed for the first time how she wants to eliminate something called the least restrictive conditions. Now, this standard basically requires judges to give criminal defendants the least restrictive conditions ahead of their trials. Now, that could mean, you know, d depending on the circumstances of the case, now, that could mean putting uh, imposing bail, that could mean letting them go on their own reconnaissance, or it could mean something in between, ankle bracelets, etc. Now, some judges have found that confusing because on the one hand, some changes made last year made made it easier to impose bail on repeat offenders, but they still had this least restrictive um, uh, standard. So the governor specified this week, you know, weeks after a state of the state speech where she first floated this, that this change, the least restrictive standard will not apply to any 
situation where bail can be imposed, adding some clarity for judges. Now, there were also additional proposals that threw more money on discovery reform, but I think the governor steered clear of a few um, other things that, that maybe the, uh, that will kind of tamp down some of the resistance from the political left, revisiting the raise the age law. Um, maybe changing up discovery requirements following some criticism. She appears to be kind of trying to walk the line while somehow still kind of uh, upsetting everybody on all sides. What's the thing about compromise, perhaps? Uh, it's when everybody's equally upset. The political left is angry at her for the least restrictive conditions proposal. The political right's upset because they just want something even harder, a harder rollback. And there's the governor in between. Now, She's had a couple other things that really raised eyebrows, not least her proposal to allow more charter schools in New York City. I'm of the opinion that this is the new fight for her following the Judiciary Committee, the State Senate Judiciary Committee's uh, rejection of her nominee to lead the state's highest court, Hector LaSalle. Many of the same senators that helped scuttle that proposal are now lining up along with the teachers unions to oppose this charter school expansion. And then thirdly, there's a very controversial housing plan that she's pushing. Probably chief among the political tripwires is a requirement for what they call transit, um, uh, a requirement that within a half mile, I believe a half mile is a mile of any transit hub, especially in the suburbs, you will have to meet specific housing targets while removing many of much of the red tape that kind of gives local government leverage to approve or disapprove projects, you know, depending on their own priorities. Republicans hate it. A lot of suburban Senate uh, legislators are, are a bit wary of it as well on the Democratic side. But there's no shortage of drama in Albany this uh, time of the year. And now, with just two months to go before the April 1st deadline, we're really starting to see the sausage uh, getting ground, at least. Governor Patterson has advised, has been advising uh, the governor, uh, Hoko, on uh, you could use that budget on, on, on being able to get what the governor needs. Uh, has she uh, exercised anything uh, like that yet? Well, the governor has kept us, and by us, the general public, in the dark about what she wants to do about this nomination of Hector LaSalle. You know, it's been over two weeks since the state Senate Judiciary Committee rejected him, and she hasn't done anything. She, um, you know, has kind of let people assume that she's considering a lawsuit, but she hasn't explicitly said that. And asked on Tuesday, or on um, yes, on um, on at a press conference, she basically said all options still on the table, the same things she's been saying for weeks, and nobody really knows what she's going to do except that she. Can't apparently is still trying to find a way to keep up the fight. Will she use the budget? You know, I just outlined a few things that are going to cost her a lot of political capital, the charter school expansion, housing, uh, public safety, you know, and, and now we throw this judge into the mix. That's four hugely contentious issues. It's in the best of times. It's hard to get things done in Albany, even with all the advantages that a governor has over the legislature. And here we have a governor who is kind of stretched pretty thin, and we're just going to have to see how she prioritizes one fight over the other or whether she might jeopardize her entire legislative agenda just to get this judge approved. Exactly, but she's not, she's in governor in name only unless uh, everybody goes along uh, that she is governor. 
it's kind of a paradox. She needs to win the LaSalle fight to show that she's governor, but she's not governor until she wins the LaSalle fight. And, you know, it's, it's just drained a lot of support that she consolidated among her own party and Democrats control everything up here in Albany. And, you know, right now she's gotten little in return and now she's got all these other fights. She could play tough. But, you know, the problem is, is just, you know, who's going to give her the backup? You know, on the one hand, Republicans are praising her for for some things, but they hate others. Same with Democrats. Uh, It seems like the governor might be running out of friends. And if she doesn't kind of pick her battles uh, in in the right way, uh, she might find herself failing on all fronts. But we'll just have to see. Uh, Understood. Anything else you want to tell our audience? Well, I would just have to say that, you know, now is the time of year when the rubber hits the road. You know, the budget has been proposed. We got budget bills. The legislators are getting ready to respond. And you just got to really pay attention to the details. Everything's in flux. But, uh, you know, the best way to keep up is just to, uh, you know, read read the post, read the other papers, and just, you know, <laughs> you know, try to get your mind around all the different things that get decided in Albany this time of year, because they are very important indeed. Well, I hope the governor is the governor, and she, uh, and she puts her foot down to make sure the right thing uh, is done for our people, and, and I think uh, law and order is a big item. There you go. I, I agree. That's uh, the issue that's never going away. And law and order uh, is you know, going to be right in the middle, along with housing, charter schools, um, as we get closer to that April 1st budget deadline. Zach uh, Williams, thank you for your update. And uh, uh, we enjoy reading your columns in the New York Post. Tell us what days you're on. Every, uh, every week, Monday through Friday. And people can keep up with the latest by following me on Twitter at Z-A-C-H. That's Zach Reports. Oh, thank you so much, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being with us for the Cats Roundtable Local Edition, the number one show on Sunday mornings in New York. Keep listening to us for the Cats Roundtable National Edition between 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock. So we'll be back to you in a few minutes after the news. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. NYC.